Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, it's your girl Sky Brown and welcome to the English Company Podcast where we cover women at work and career mobility. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Miss Yvonne Singleton Davis who is the founder, president, and CEO of Sister to Sister, one in the Spirit Incorporated base in Harlem right here in New York City. Hello, Miss Yvonne. Are you with us? Um, I am here, and I thank you so much for this opportunity. It is always a pleasure for me to speak about Sister to Sister as we go through whatever we have to go through to empower our sisters in the community. So I thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. I love it. Well, you know what? It's just, I love having people on the show. You know, I remember <laughs> when I was, my earring in the mic. So hold on. Okay, so I have to take my earring out real fast. You know, we work on the fly. Um, I remember in school, everyone, all my teachers would say, Miss Page, before I got married, um, you know, I would get straight A's or really, really good grades. And there will always be these comments that I just talk too much. <laughs> So finally, I'm at a place where I'm able to uh, make being a talker work for me. <laughs> it took a long time. I just want to let everybody know the chat room is now open. So if you're online, feel free to just chat with us. You can go to ingoodcompany.pink and click on the Listen Live button, and then that will bring you right into our chat room. So, Miss Yvonne, I want to get right into what your organization does the impact in Harlem, what black women are doing. You know, I'm with an organization that's based at the United Nations, and we are about dressing all women. And on the show, we specifically talk about women at work and career mobility and income equality and equal salary. But you can't, I don't think there would be a conversation about any of those if we did not weave the story of African-American women, and particularly in Harlem, into that conversation. So tell me a little bit about your organization, and then I'm going to get right into my questions. Okay. When we started 15 years ago, there was not a lot of people doing anything in the area of empowerment for our girls and women of color. And I found that there were so many different groups of people, different cultures, that had their people helping them, bringing them sources of information on health, bringing them information on investments, bringing them information on real estate, bringing them information of all kinds of things, a variety of topics, and we just did not have that. So I wanted to help our sisters in the community to be able to get together and provide each other with the information that they had with people that were experienced in specific areas and that we could come together and share our knowledge and share our information, share our expertise, share where we can go and get help. And that is what brought us together. And we've been doing it like 15 years. We started out our women of we grew it evolved and now we started working with our young girls our little sisters in the community who need to be mentored who need to be sheltered who need to be guided and they need to know that they have big sisters in the community some of us younger some of us older 
who can give them a helping hand and help them to find their way as they navigate through Harlem? Well, you know, I have to say this. We have all, just as women, we have all seen and probably experienced on an intimate level what it looks like when we take our hand off the wheel as it relates to our young girls. (laughs) These, some of these (laughs) young girls, I have to say, are really out of control. But I have to talk more specifically, if I may, about one of my dear friends. Now, nice woman, waited till her late 30s to get married, you know, in according to society, did everything the right way. Went to college, then dated. You know, she went to college, then she worked. And, you know, I have to say there is no right or wrong way, but that's why I said according to society standards, because I kind of took an alternative route to get here, but I digress. Mm. She, very stable home up in Westchester, two daughters. I will never, ever forget that she, when her daughter, her her children are barely a year apart. When she got married, she had them back to back. So they're probably mm-hmm. about a year and a half apart. Her younger daughter, when she was about three years old, her dad was a drummer, did African drumming. And she called me one day. She said, Saida, I don't know what I'm going to do with this girl. She was moving those hips and sassy at three years old. Now her daughters are eight and nine, and her eight-year-old, is a little spicy, let me say. And she is. She called me because she's like, Sai, I need to call all my aunties, you know, all you aunties, I need you right now. She said, I do not know what I'm going to do with this girl. I say all that to say, here is a young woman who came from an amazing family, great environment, polished, is being so heavily influenced by all of these things in the media. My friend doesn't even have a TV in her house anymore. She, she got rid of the TV. All they watch now are YouTube and, and videos on Netflix and things that she chooses. So here's a young girl who came from what by society standards would consider an amazing, amazing environment. And she's even susceptible to the pressures that are facing young girls. What is happening to our young girls that don't have mentors? And what is happening to these young girls that don't have that? It's a very sad situation, and it's a unique experience, but it's not unique in that all girls are not experiencing this. Unfortunately, you know, you can take the televisions out, you can take the radio out of the household so that they won't be influenced, but there are still other avenues of influence because the young lady is going to school. And when you are in a public school environment or even a private school environment, you are subjected to all kinds of things. You're subjected to other girls who have not been in the same household or the same type. They wasn't raised the same way. And so their belief systems are different. You have children in schools that their parents allow them to do anything and everything under the sun and they bring that behavior into the classroom, and therefore younger girls like the young lady that you speak of is influenced Mm -hmm. by that. So we have a lot of peer pressure, and I Mm -hmm. think that what needs to be done is that we have to come together as a community. We have to bring our parents together where they are able to access information and other ways that they can help their children. We have a lot of community programs, maybe, that these children can get involved with. You know, uh, we work where we send young ladies to camp, 
and we partnered with Camp Olmstead, which is on Cornwall on the Hudson. And we mm-hmm. gave these girls a two-week camping experience during the summer. Wow. And what they do when they go to this camp, they are exposed to positive mentoring. Mm-hmm. They are exposed to young girls that are experiencing the same thing they're experiencing. But the camp is helping them not only to be able to gain your independence on the outside, you know, living independently, but also mm-hmm. giving them an opportunity to build their character and self-esteem. And this is what we need to do. Our young ladies have to build their self-esteem. They have to be around positive images to help them do that. So mm-hmm. you can help the young lady, and you can help the young lady, but it's what they are going through in the school where they need this help. There are a lot mm-hmm. of things. And I, I, I am a product of the public school system. I taught in the public school system. So I know that there are so many things that the public schools are not addressing. You have mm-hmm. children that are promiscuous, and mm-hmm. that's because they are around uh, a, 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 an environment that allows them to do that. And then when you have that and you have a sweet, innocent girl who wants to try it out and test the waters, they are strongly influenced by that. Mm -hmm. So as we look to empower our girls outside of the school system, I believe that somehow we have to connect with the Department of Education, if it is possible, or at least in the schools that are in our Harlem community, and offer our young girls programs of incentives that way, and hopefully we'll be able to get them and grab them before their behavior gets too out of control. Well, I will say, you know, to the point that you just made, Marion Wright Edelman famously said, girls, and I'm paraphrasing, girls can't be what they can't see. Uh And so, you know, I just spoke with a woman, today is Tuesday, March 29th, uh, I spoke with a woman this past Saturday, and she said, Saida, my daughter's 14 years old, and she needs a mentor badly. And the first thing I said, I said well, where are all the sororities? And it's not an indictment, because I have a lot of wonderful um, sororities in the Greek family that listen to this show. It's not an indictment, but sometimes, you know, even even as it relates to places of worship, we are so engaged and so involved in, you know, working our organization that sometimes outreach is put on the back burner. And this uh-huh. mother was so desperate about, I was like, I can't really do it. You know, I have two boys <laughs> who are grown. So I'm, first of all, removed from teenage life, and I never had a daughter. So that's uh-huh. probably not the best person <laughs> to be a mentor for your daughter. But I'm uh-huh. sure there are organizations, and I referred her to sororities. I said, I know they, a lot of them have these programs. The NAACP has programs, but, you know, even now I have your organization to refer people to. But, you know, it's so incredibly important that we as adults and most importantly women get more ingratiated and get more involved in the lives of these young girls. Statistics show that pregnancies are down and all of these other things, but there's so many issues. If I may, I want to hear what you have to say, but I just want to share really quickly that when I was coming up, I'm in my 40s, it was, you know, drugs, AIDS, and don't get pregnant. Well, we Mm -hmm. can kind of tackle those things now. Now we have this whole 
host of other issues, social media, cyberbullying. Like, where do we begin with women and girls? So that's where I really want you to pick up on. Where do we begin? Where do we just get started? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of hard to say where do we begin. I can say where we can pick up because a lot of things, where we begin, it begins in your home. My mother would not allow us, my sister or I, to go out and just hang in the street after school was over. We had a mission, and that was to come home and do your homework. We also had extracurricular activities that was given through, for instance, we went to Camp Menacing that was a part of the City Mission Society. They don't have Camp Menacing anymore, but my mother packed us up, and we went to camp for after-school programs. And not only that, we went to the day camp that was the month of July. And then the 1st of August, by the second week in July, she was buying trunks and packing us up because the 1st of August we went to the summer camp for the entire month. What did that do for us? It helped to build our character. It made us into the women that we are. We have established long-term relationships. And we also was a part of the church. When you said what you said about the church getting involved, I was thinking about that because when I was coming along, churches were heavily involved in the community. Okay? Now the church has almost taken a laissez-faire approach, and a lot of them are not doing anything. I'm a member of a church, which I will not name. And we used to be no, I'm not, I'm not. We used to be a seven day church, not a seven day adventist, but they used to call us a seven day church because there was mm-hmm. so much going on. There was Girl Scouts, there was uh, choir practice, there were cheerleaders, there was mentoring programs, there was all kinds of things. But now they do nothing. And so the churches have sort of taken a stand backwards. And they're not really operating in the community like they should be operating. People in the church, they're going to church, and they're looking out for themselves. And this is not only my church. This is a common denominator throughout our community and others as well. And I think what we have forgotten is, in terms of being churchgoers, is what our mandate of Christ is. And that is to get out into the community, mm-hmm. find those who are hurting, and when you find those who are hurting, you have, you have to give them some kind of support, some kind of encouragement, and help them to understand, baby, this is not the way you do things, you know, and help them to raise themselves up just by being a positive example for them. Let me tell you this. I used to teach school had middle grade, you know, middle school. Ooh, what a grade to have. Oh, my Let goodness. Let me tell you, it was no easy, it was no easy feat. You hear me? Oh, my and goodness. And some of the kids used to come in and they would just talk about their clothes and how much money their parents would spend on the sneakers and on the shoes and their parents are doing this and doing that. And I would have to ask them, let me ask you a question. If anything happened to your mother or father and they had a family emergency, would they be able to go to the bank right today and pull out at least $1,000 because this emergency cost that much? No, they couldn't do it. Half of them couldn't even respond to the question. 
So sometimes wow. we fall we sometimes we fall down and what we do is because we don't teach our children values. Somehow we got away from teaching them values, teaching them mm-hmm. how to save money, teaching them the importance of having money. Then I would have mm-hmm. them come into the school and they'll sit down in the classroom and talk about a party that they went to. Mm-hmm. And their mother was at the party and she was at the party and they mm-hmm. were drinking. And then we left Miss Davis. When we left, the mother was on the couch sleeping and a wig was falling mm-hmm. off because she was drunk. Now, we can't live these images in front of our children and expect mm-hmm. our children to walk a chalk line. We can't right. get drunk in, in the presence of our kids and expect these children to come out and be role models. So I agree with you. Our sororities, we can't do it all by ourselves. Our sororities need to do it. We have women. We started a mentoring program that we had to change. We had to, we had to drop it because we had a mentoring program where we was working with young women from 18 to 24, 23, 24 mm-hmm. years old. Our mentors were ready. They were experienced. We brought them together for training. How do you work with these people? We brought their mentees in. And for the first year or two, it worked out fine. Now, some of those relationships are still blooming. They are still existing where mentors have established a relationship with their mentees and it's ongoing. But we had to discontinue that phase of our program, regrettably, because the women weren't coming. They weren't coming. Not the mentors, but the girls, the the mentees. mentees, Right, the mentees. And some of them Ah. were 22 and 23 years old. So we were offering them a service, but they weren't taking advantage of it. And the service was free. We're not asking you to pay anything. We had a we had a, a, a workshop that we gave at the County Cullen Library. This was about two years ago because we revisit workshops periodically. The workshop was on domestic violence. And I know there are women out here and young girls too. I'm telling you, young girls that are being abused by these men. And when we had that event that was uh, uh, instructed by one of the uh, a powerful woman in that area of domestic violence, we had about ten women show up. And so, if you provide services and they don't come, you know you have to still provide them because you want to help. So it works right. both ways. You know, you have to have the services available, but the people need to want to access those services so that they can be helped. You know, well, you know so what it is? I think, if I may, I remember when Oprah Winfrey gave tons and tons of money and opened up a school in Africa. I remember black people were up in arms and I would never say, well, that's her money. She could do whatever she wants to do with that money. But then mm-hmm. Oprah was forced. Oprah was forced to make a statement, and and again, I'm paraphrasing because this was some years ago that she wanted to give her money to a place where kids wanted to learn, 
And a Mm -hmm. lot of people, I will never forget this, a Mm -hmm. lot of people got even more up in arms because that was a slight that these young kids don't want to learn. Now, I have to say, I have seen it. I have two boys who were in high school, in middle Mm -hmm. school, when when, when she opened that school. And I remember how difficult it was for me to keep my kids motivated. And I remember Mm -hmm. my son... Um, he was in, I think, the 10th grade at the time. I said, well, where were your book reports? Went, oh, the teacher doesn't care. Why do you, you know, Ma, are you ready? Ma. And I rem- so when Oprah made that statement, I kind of took her side a little bit, you know, because mm-hmm. here, you know, you have to look at the kids now. I don't know if anybody, and I'm probably going to catch some heat about this, and I don't care, walk past any school not elementary, because the kids want to learn, I feel, when they're little. But when they get to that middle school and high school, in most areas, and I don't care across socioeconomic lines, kids don't have backpacks. Kids are not carrying books. They're, they're glued to these cell phones. So, you know, I understand what you're saying when you have these amazing programs and the people don't show up. But I do want to say something else to that point. We also, as laborers in the field, you know, bad English, good preaching, (laughs) but (laughs) as laborers in the field, we also have to take ourselves out of our daily grind, and we have to market better. It's not enough for us to just set up a program and press play. We have to be on Snapchat, Pinterest, YouTube, to to be where our market is, to get them engaged where they want to rock with us. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that is a challenge for a lot of worthy organizations. You know, I I have been asked, Saida, are you going to become a member of the, I was a member of the NAACP for years. I'm like, I don't really know. And I love the NAACP, but I just feel like at this point, like, how are they relevant? What what are we doing to move forward? And again, it's not an indictment because I have a lot of people from the NAACP that listen to the show, but it speaks to having wonderful programs and initiatives, but being able to market them and position them in a way that you can have support. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're right. And, you know, let me just address the African thing, because we educate some girls in, in Africa, and they are girls whose parents have died of AIDS or they mm-hmm. have been killed. And these children are orphaned. And in some cases, they are children who are living with an elderly grandparent. Mm -hmm. And so we took on the responsibility to educate these children, and we started out with two, and now we have eight. And someone said to me, well, why are you educating kids out there? We have children that need it. Mm -hmm. You're going to get that. Here is what I said to that person. Our children here benefit from a free education. Yes. Those, our children here have, in many cases, they have parents who work. They mm-hmm. are well provided for, and some of them mm-hmm. are living, living quite well. All right? In those cases in Africa, it is not the same. You have children that are fending for themselves. You have children that want to be educated so bad they hunger for an education, but they do not have the resources 
in order to get the education that they hunger for. So when we send them that little money that we send, it costs us, I think, $350 per child. And when we send that money over there, it gives them one meal a day, and that's their lunch in school. It also Mm -hmm. provides them with books, and it helps to pay for their actual school expenses. But when they go home, we don't know whether they eat or not. But what this school does, which is located in Uganda, what they do, they're now teaching the children agricultural skills so that they can be self-sustaining. And not only will they self-sustain themselves, but they will help to sustain their community. And that is what is important. So I, I, I'm an advocate for education for any and everybody. But when you are working in the field for, for the Lord, our group is sister to sister, from one sister to the next. We are one in the spirit, not my spirit, but the spirit of the Lord. And we cannot claim that title and not do what the Lord has commanded us to do. And that means we have to go out into the world. We can't sit in our ivory towers and see people suffer and not do anything because your neighbor, when it says to treat your neighbor as you would treat yourself or love your neighbor as you would love yourself, your neighbor is not just next door to you. Your neighbor is anywhere there's a child of God who is suffering. You see, so that is something that we have to understand. And, yes, our kids here sometimes, and I was in the trenches with them, and I know how disrespectful they were. I know how, what's the language they use now, how turked up they get in the classroom. <laughs> okay. instead, of them, instead of them learning, instead of them sitting down and, and wanting to learn how to read, they come in ready to party. They come in talking about, yeah, let's turn up. Let's turn up in Mr. So-and-so's class. Let's turn it up. <laughs> and that's what they do. And they turn up. They turn up. They turn up. So funny. And, they, and they turn up. They, they, they turn themselves right into disadvantages. You know? They so do. By the time and they think... get to high school, and I've taught on that into, by the time they get to high school, they are lacking. They're lacking in reading. But what the kids don't understand is this. When they are in elementary school, they will pass them along. Whether they're doing well or not, they'll pass them along. When they're in middle school, they'll pass them along. It doesn't, they don't care whether they can read. They don't care whether they can do the math problem. They pass them along because they have to be socially correct. Children don't understand is when they get to high school, their buck stops. They don't just pass you along. They keep you there until you decide you're either going to do what they want you to do or you're going to drop out. And that's what and that's, is, and that's the that's, terrible part. Yeah. That exactly. But it is our reality. And until our children get to the point where they buckle down and say, okay, this is something I have to do, you know, the system will not treat them fairly. So I think that, our organizations that are working to do, like we are having an empowerment conference and doing, you know, we can have conferences with these young girls. And but we invite young girls to the seat of our conference as well because there are so many women that come that can share with them and talk to them about what not to do. And I bring 
young people uh, to the event, and they are very inspired by what they hear and what they see. So these are the things. We just have to keep the positive pressure on and work to get our girls to a better place, no matter how we do it. Like Malcolm X used to say, by any means necessary. And I think that's a perfect place to wind down today's show. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. Today we were joined by Sister to Sister, One in the Spirit, founder, Miss Yvonne Singleton Davis. And what a spirited conversation this was. Ms. Davis, thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. It was it was just a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Always. Always remember that we shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, for we shall not pass this way again. Thank you so much for listening to the In Good Company podcast, and we will see you tomorrow. 